0: You're listening to the Life-Changing Discipleship Podcast. Here's the deal. If you make disciples by sitting around and talking, you shouldn't be surprised when your disciples sit around and talk and talk and talk. This is the podcast for those weary of just talking and ready to start activating in the mission Jesus gave us to change the world. The Life-Changing Discipleship Podcast, where disciples and disciple makers
1: gather to grow and go together. Here's your host, Dr. Matt Friedemann. Hey, dear friends, great to have you with us today. Remember, the place for a man, for a woman, completing all their powers is in the fight, in the spiritual fight. And right now today, making disciples of the nations. So stay tuned, stay encouraged. We have a rendezvous with destiny. All right, folks, on the docket today, I think you're really going to like our program, We're going to have an Old Testament uh, PhD guy in here, kind of an academic egghead type, but uh, I think you're going to love him, and he's going to share with us some discipleship insights out of the book of Numbers. But before we get to that, I want to share with you a little bit about what's going on in this month. Now, I recognize that when you hear this podcast, it may be in February, but it may be in May or maybe in June. But nonetheless, one of the things I like to do on our Facebook page is put down what happened today in history. And in February, there was a traditional date for when abolitionist Frederick Douglass was born into slavery. It happened in Talbot County, Maryland. He escaped to freedom, if you know anything about his life, and he became the most prominent of the black abolitionists and eventually became the first, the very first black, to hold high political office as consul general to the Republic of Haiti. One of the things I really love about Frederick Douglass is the things he said. He was a great, great speech writer and uh, could really articulate a wonderful message But I have here about five quotes. I just want to read you these quotes, uh, and it gives you an idea about what a great man he was. He says, no man can put a chain about the ankle of his fellow man without at last finding the other end fastened about his own neck. I love the insight here. When an abuser abuses, the abuser is abusing himself. In other words, he finds him imprisoned to his own sordid life. And that's something for us to keep in mind. I read through the Psalms every day, and uh, I, I, I do five of them every day. I do a proverb every day, and I'm just all the time running across the evil and the wicked. And one of the things to keep in mind about the evil and the wicked is they're hurting themselves as well as hurting others. Uh, this is one of my favorite quotes about Frederick Douglass. Uh, he said this one day, I prayed for 20 years, but received no answer until I prayed with my legs. <laughs> I, I, I love that simply to say, listen, uh, there, there's, there's an old Latin phrase. And I was, I was telling this to a buddy of mine yesterday on the phone. He said, there's an old Latin phrase, ora et labora, which is pray and work. And here it would be pray and move or pray and exercise your legs, your arms. Uh, listen, it's good to pray. And I, I I love the prayer movement of our country right now. A lot of people getting excited about prayer. But y'all, it's not enough. Prayer movements are not enough. You've got to put action with those prayers. And yes, Jesus working through those prayers and through that action, through that aura et Labora can do incredible, incredible things. Frederick Douglass said this It's easier to build strong children than to repair broken men. No kidding. It's why we've written a book called Discipleship in the Home. It's how to build strong children for Jesus. Check that book out. I think you'd really like it. Um, And then this Everybody has asked a question, says Frederick Douglass, and they learned to ask it of the early uh, abolitionists What shall we do with the Negro? I have but one answer from the beginning do nothing with us. Your doing with us has already played the mischief with us. In other words, if you would just leave us alone, you'd find we do just fine. And I, I think about that in context of American society. But honestly, uh, I, I think about it in my old radio days. You know, they give you books and they wanted you to read these books and then interview the authors and had one of them come to me uh, and it was written Uh, by an African about Africa, and it basically said, please stop sending money. Now, I want you to know, I think it's good to have compassion with your money, and I think it's probably good to send money to like missionaries in Africa, but even at that, this author was saying, could you just please stop Because the more you send us money, the more we become reliant on it. And when we become reliant on it, we become less the people that God wants us to be and needs for us to be. It was a very provocative book. Interesting stuff. But some people would say, and uh, both for white and black in our nation, the welfare state kind of plays along those lines. What would happen if it just stopped? Two or three decades from now, what would have happened if we stopped saying hey what shall we do with the poor in our country whether they're black brown (laughs) whether they're white what shall we do with them what do you say we just say let's let's do with them what we're doing with everybody else and that is giving them a good education and letting them fend for themselves what would happen then now i want to have compassion believe me i want to do that with my time with my talent with my resources with my money But you've just got to be careful. Great book out there if you haven't read it yet. When Helping Hurts. Get that book. Because sometimes when you're helping, you're actually hurting. Then I like this quote from Frederick Douglass. A gentleman will not insult me, and no man, not a gentleman, can insult me. I'm going to read that to you again. A gentleman will not insult me, and no man, not a gentleman, can insult me. Powerful stuff. Anyway, uh, Frederick Douglass just had a a recent birthday, and I thought we would uh, read a couple quotes from him. Uh, I'd go try to find his autobiography. I think you'd really enjoy that. Then this, uh, in 1597, uh, 26 Japanese Christians are crucified for their faith in Nagasaki, and by 1640, thousands of Japanese Christians had been martyred. But the story about these 26, the place is known as Martyr's Hill. 26 Franciscan and Jesuit missionaries and Japanese converts were crucified together uh, by order in 1597 and are known today as the Nagasaki Martyrs. Each died for their bold witness and refusal to deny Jesus and cease to preach and tell of his outlawed faith of Christianity. So really, to be released, all they had to do was just verbally renounce Christ and each of them declined. So they were taken to their place of death. And they were told that each had his own cross upon which to die, made to measure. So there were crosses right there, made to their size, each one of them. The first arrived was a guy named Gonzalo. He went to a cross and says, is this one mine? No, they said that one's not true. They took him to another cross that was his. He knelt by it and he embraced his cross. Others saw him do that and started following his example. One of the youngest of the now criminals was told by officials that all he had to do was renounce Christ and that he thereby would not be tortured to death. The boy said, sir, how can I renounce my savior, my redeemer, my all? I will not do it. I'm not going to do it. Show me my cross. (laughs) Well, if you can imagine, the the guards were utterly baffled. They told him, well, all right, your cross is over there, the small one, right over there. The youngster ran to the cross, embraced it, and thanked God that he was worthy to die for his Jesus. There's a kid there, 13 years of age, named Anthony Danan. And uh, he, he, he saw his mother crying as the martyrs were bound with iron clamps around their ankles and wrist and throat and eventually pierced with a lance up through their ribs to the shoulders and the mother just said listen please Anthony please so once they had tied to the crosses all 26 they were lifted up simultaneously dropped into holes sending jarring pain through their bodies Danan's mother could hear her son and the others praying and singing hymns as one by one they slipped into heaven Now, y'all, theirs were tailor-made crosses. They ran to them. They embraced them. They thanked God for them and then died on them. On February 5th, 1597, they died on the Hill of Wheat, now known as Martyrs Hill in Nagasaki, Japan. Incredible, incredible stuff. All right. One of the programs that uh, is so very special to us at Wesley biblical seminary, uh, is just this whole simple uh, thing that we call masters of divinity, masters, uh, degrees. Uh, we got a, a, a D min degree here that we do. We have a program for lady called the Wesley Institute. I mean, we've got so much from laity all the way through doctorate degrees. You can come to Wesley biblical seminary. I've taught at this school for 33 years. It's one of the best seminaries in the world and a place where you can come and check out the various wonderful offerings that we can offer you. Again, our lay program is called the Wesley Institute. Our undergraduate program, yep, <laughs> we've got a college you need to discover. Our master's programs, and again, our doctorate degree, uh, the d program. Really something for all serious disciples. Check it out. and You can check it out at wbs.edu. That's wbs.edu. All right, we're ready now for, whoa, a great program. And what we're going to do right now is I'm asking some of my buddies to come in here from the seminary crowd. And our Old Testament professor, a guy named Dave Schreiner, is with us. Hey, Dave, welcome to the Life-Changing Discipleship Program. Hey, thanks,
0: man. It's good to be here. All
1: right, you promised me you're not going to be boring No today. boringness. Uh, <laughs> That's right. No boringness. We've been having fun off air. Dude, I can't, hand, I can't handle boring today, okay? Yeah, yeah, I know. All right, but you are anything but ever boring. So thanks for being a part of, first off, for being part of the Wesley Biblical Seminary faculty. Oh, absolutely. You're the newbie, right? Or is there a newbie more than no, new? No, no, no. I'm it. So you're I'm, the I'm new the, guy. I'm the newest guy. Yet. I've been here 33 years. How long have you been here?
0: Uh, Well, at part-time or full-time?
1: Well, whatever. Whatever you need to do.
0: Full-time. Well, geez. Full-time's only been a couple years, but I've been part-time, half-time, a couple years before that, and then I was an adjunct for many years.
1: This guy is a a superstar in the making. First off, he's already a superstar, but I mean, like, big-time, mega-superstar guy. He's writing stuff, writing commentaries, very exciting stuff. So, again, thank you as the old guy around here for being the new guy around here. Uh, It's my pleasure, man. All right, this is what we're doing here. Uh, We are doing discipleship lessons from books of the Bible. So I'm asking you to kind of give an executive summary Kind of give us the big look Mm -hmm. of the book of numbers and what this might mean for disciples. I'm I'm limiting you to five points. Right, right, right. You don't get eight. You don't get six. If you got a double point, you're going to have to make it fit in with one of your points. I think I got five. I I, I think I got five. Okay, so I'll just set you up point by point, okay? Okay. And maybe ask some follow-up questions after that. So point number one for disciples of Jesus Christ from the book of Numbers. Celebrate your
0: past victories and celebrate your past moments of salvation. So this is, I'm thinking of uh, Numbers chapter 9. The book of Numbers opens up in the first 10 chapters or so. Israel's still at Mount Sinai. Uh, They know that they're getting ready to leave Mount Sinai, but they're still at Mount Sinai. They've been there for a really, really long time. As you read through the Pentateuch, that is your first five books of the Old Testament, half of the book of Exodus is at Sinai. The entire book of Leviticus is at Sinai, and you're still at Sinai when Numbers picks up. And so you know something's coming, but you just don't know when. But anyway, in chapter 9, they're getting ready to break camp. And one of the last things they do at camp is they celebrate Passover. Mm. Now, se- Passover, if you remember from the Book of Exodus, this, that was the moment of their great salvation from Egyptian oppression. This is this is the moment of salvation for the Old Testament. It's gonna it's gonna stay that way. Everything seems to be defined in terms of its relationship, its similarity uh, to the Passover event. I mean, I I've made the argument that Sennacherib's um, uh, 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 failed siege, that when Hezekiah defies the Assyrian. Uh, army in Second Kings chapters eighteen and nineteen. That's actually recalling elements of the Exodus event of the Passover. So it's always being connected back. All there. Right, big. So what? Who cares? Well, Passover. Why? Wh- because why is that important. That is when God Almighty defied the greatest imperial powers mm. facing His people and miraculously saved them from oppression. This was the. This was the moment of definition for them. You need to celebrate. The moments that de- that that the, those big moments of salvation that define your relationship with God Almighty. Don't forget them. Celebrate them.
1: All right. So sometimes, in future days, they will celebrate it, and sometimes they won't. Right. So what happens when they don't celebrate Passover?
0: That's usually indicative of some really bad spiritual situations going on there. That's usually when they're at the bottom. Um, not good stuff. Um, and moments where they do celebrate, those are moments of revival, those are moments of spiritual renewal. So these celebrations, which are kind of talked about throughout the Old Testament, particularly the legal codes, they're meant to be reminders of What God has done for you, for us, so that our relationship with him can continue on, can continue to be vibrant, can continue to affect us positively. Mm-hmm. And it's when we forget about those moments that we tend to enter into these um, periods of, of, of depression and that sort of thing. You
1: remember that old book? Uh, it was a popular book, but it was a, The Kingdom of God is a Party. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the things that tr- he was trying to suggest is if you look through all Scripture, celebration is huge. Yes, it and is. And in Leviticus 23, he says, hey, yeah. I'm trying to get your attention. These are the things you're supposed to be celebrating. And it's
0: the same thing in the book of Deuteronomy as well. The book of Deuteronomy, we'll talk about the Passover, uh, the, the three, three big festivals, and they're parties. They're big parties. And the language that's used are you are to go to these places worship, sacrifice, remember these moments of salvation, and have a big old party.
1: All right, discipleship lesson number one from Numbers is celebrate past victories. Uh, Number two. Uh, We
0: have to be ready to break camp. The book of Numbers is very much a transition book. You know, when they eventually do leave Mount Sinai, and when they leave Mount Sinai, They're going to the promised land. They're going to realize the thing that God has placed in front of them. And uh, at some point, we all have to realize that our time of preparation, because that's what Sinai was. It was a preparatory event for them. They learned how they were supposed to live moving forward. And at some point, that moment of preparation, that uh, that phase of preparation in all of our lives is going to break. We're going to have to start moving forward. And we cannot be scared to do that. We have to be confident in the training and the discipleship that we have, that we have received from mentors and those types of people, professors, et cetera, pastors. But at some point we have to be willing to move on because what's the whole point of discipleship? You become a disciple maker yourself, right? And so at some point you've got to break camp and move forward. That happens in, that happens in Numbers chapter 10. Finally, they break camp.
1: Okay. Could this be taken even to the level of the local church? It's Sunday. We're having a great time here. We're singing our hymns. We've got our, 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 our sermonizing mm-hmm. going, Sunday school. Now, it's time to break yes. camp and go be the people we right. need to be. Absolutely.
0: I think, yes, I think that's a, a, the very appropriate way to apply this as well. In the life of every congregation, you are breaking camp weekly because you are leaving worship. You are leaving those moments of celebration when you remember what God has done, and then you go out and live your life. Celebrate past victories, get ready to break camp, number three. Um, You will arrive at a moment when you will have to either choose to obey or disobey. Mm. And in Numbers, this is it. This is the moment in the book of Numbers. You can read about this in chapter 14 in particular. Uh, If you remember the story, Israel finally comes to the place. Uh, They send out spies because they are getting ready to take the promised land. And they send out 12 of them. Ten of them come back and say, man— it looks great, but we can't do it. Mm. Two of them will come back and say, man, it looks great. We can do this. And, of course, that was Joshua and that was Caleb, and their voice gets drowned out. And eventually, Israel comes to the point where they rebel. They they engage not in obedience, despite how big this the situation may, 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 may look. Because, remember, this is the same generation that experienced the Exodus event, mm. okay? At this moment, they're the same generation— and they're faced with another opportunity for God to, to allow God to show himself mighty. And instead of saying, yes, let's do it again, they say, you know what? Those walls are really big.
1: A couple things here. Saying yes can be a little dangerous sometimes.
0: Absolutely, it can be. And yeah, you're exactly right. So if they would have said yes and say, yes, you know what? Those walls are big. Those people are big. But man, the grapefruits are, the, are bigger than my head. The grapes are as big as my fists. I mean, there—that is a land of plenty, baby, and and we we know that God wants mm. us to take this. And despite what it looks like, we are still going. And they didn't do that, and so that was the moment of truth for them. They're going to put up or shut up. Well, they chose to you know disobey, mm. and that produced a whole set of circumstances and consequences that ultimately ended up in the death of that Exodus generation.
1: Now you say this, you don't, you have no idea about my story, but. Um, I, I went to the University of Kansas, mm-hmm. started drifting away from the Lord. Mm-hmm. About my sophomore year or so, a, a preacher preached this message, Numbers 13 and 14. Mm-hmm. And it was a sanctification moment for me. Mm-hmm. I was on my way home, had to travel about 90 miles to get home, and uh, and the Lord said, Matt, you need to obey me at these three points. Mm-hmm. I won't go over what those were, but I didn't want to. Mm-hmm. I didn't think he really understood, <laughs> Yeah, but I decided to go with him anyway. And my life, I call that a sanctification moment for Matt Friedman. And the celebration of that took place two years ago. It was 40 years, Mm. two years ago. There you go. Because I always felt like had I not chosen yes, I would have wandered in the wilderness for the next several decades of my life, maybe the rest of my Mm -hmm. life. It was a great celebration, really, to to wake up and say, wow, uh, 40 years ago, I had this moment when I said yes, and it's made all the difference in my life.
0: Yeah, and I think a lot of us will get to that. But it's they're, they're critical crossroad moments. They're crossroad moments. And and, and, and there, are, there are several of these in the Pentateuch, and this is a big one. This is a big one. and oh, they'll, yeah. And the next generation will have a similar one at the end of the book of Deuteronomy. The entire book of Deuteronomy is setting up a crossroad event for the next generation. But for this generation, they chose the wrong path, and that precipitated their death in the wilderness.
1: Mm. So celebrate past victories— Get ready to break camp. You're going to come to obedience, disobedience times at critical points mm. in your life, and it could color the rest of your life. Mm. Number four,
0: know how to repent. Mm. And I think I think this is this is probably one of my favorite episodes in in the entire Old Testament. This comes from Numbers chapter twenty one, verses four through nine. This is a very quick event. This is the bronze serpent episode, and this is important because. Uh, Jesus will actually invoke this episode when he's talking to Nicodemus in John chapter four, we or John chapter three. Everybody loves John three sixteen, but two verses earlier, Jesus will look at Nicodemus and say, "Just as the snake was, just essentially, just as the serpent was lifted in the desert, so too must the Son of Man." What does that mean? Well, it's recalling this event, and this was a moment when this is the, they're, they're in the wilderness, they're wandering, they're waiting because the generation, because of their sin, because of their defiance and their open rebellion, they're waiting for them to die off, and they're wandering from place to place, and they find themselves getting into trouble over and over and over again, and then finally, God has enough, and he sends these fiery serpents, these venomous snakes, um, to, uh, to punish them, and they're faced with a choice. In the midst of all of this, they're faced with a choice. There is salvation in the midst of this horrible experience, but they have to take the proper action. Mm -hmm. This is where Moses fashions the bronze stakes, uh, the bronze snake. He sticks it up on a pole and he says, if you want to survive, you got to look at that thing and you got, and, and take a moment just to stop and think about this. You've been bitten by a venomous snake. You know, you don't have much time to live and you know where your salvation lies are you willing to humble yourself and to take the time to look to your salvation? Mm. And and there's a finite amount of time associated with this. That's the implication of this event. You couldn't dilly-dally. And so there's an urgency in this event, and I wonder, and I think that when Jesus is talking to Nicodemus in John chapter 3, he has that in mind. It's more than just, hey, I'm going to sit up on a cross. No, there's a sense of urgency involved. There's a sense of finite amount of time. Jesus knows that when he puts himself up on that cross, and he dies for our sins, and when people are faced with that moment, they will have a finite amount of time Mm. in, in order to respond, and they better not dally because we all know about the fleetingness of life. We don't know when a cro- uh, when a truck is going to go left to center and hit some and hit somebody. You do not know how much time and the WBS community knows that very intimately uh, about the fleetingness of
1: life. Yes. W- you know, these things you say you you, you come to a, a, an obedience disobedience moment. You got to be ready to break camp. Uh, you got to know how to repent. Some of those things just feel uncomfortable what i've come to believe here dave is that it's far more uncomfortable not to do it
0: yes and and it, and it makes and it makes things worse yes and 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 when things get worse the uncomfortableness of
1: that situation just gets ratcheted up exponentially mm. so absolutely okay so we got four discipleship lessons from the book of numbers and you know i know dave Schreiner well enough to know he always says his best point for, this is the climax. This is the climax moment of this podcast. <laughs> uh oh. So don't let us down, man. Well number it,
0: five. It's all about reflection. Hmm. And and we have you have a chapter, you have a chapter in, in Numbers chapter thirty three. You you may just glance over it and you may not realize the implications of it. But in verse two of Numbers chapter thirty three, it says that Moses recorded all the places that they visited during their wilderness wandering. He recorded. So he's writing this stuff down. He's making a record of all the places that they have been. Now, why would you do that? Because at some point in the future, you're going to have a moment to be able to look back on this journey, and you're going to want to remember that journey. Remember where we started? Mm. You need to celebrate those moments of salvation. You need to remember what they are. That's journaling. That's recording these things that where, where you experience God in a profound and, and magical way. Not magical, because that's kind of hokey, but a profound and intense way. You need to remember that. You need to remember how you feel. You need to remember the burdens that were lifted off of your shoulder. And how do you remember that year after year? Well, you record them. <laughs> so Numbers itself is telling us that at the end of this journey, Moses had been recording this. In order that this record, in order that this memory would not die. It's one thing to perpetuate memories through word of mouth, it's a whole nother thing to perpetuate memories through written word. Mm. And it lasts longer, and you don't forget things, you remember the subtle details. So I really think that a good discipline. Uh, to 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 um, a good discipline to sharpen and to construct for anybody's discipleship journey is a way to remember the details of your experiences and your salvation. You may journal, you may audio record, you may do something else, but Moses recorded where he was leading from this place to this place. He recorded it all because he knew the community needed to remember it.
1: Okay, I am currently journaling. I love this idea. Uh, but I haven't for decades. I haven't for years mm. because I always felt like, you know, you do a page. I don't want to do a page a day. In mm. fact, you, but, but the way John Wesley journaled was, sometimes you just have a sentence. Yeah. Sometimes he wouldn't write anything at all. Mm. And then sometimes he would write six pages.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exact. I
1: think that's freeing right there to say, do what you want to do today. Absolutely.
0: And, and I, think, I think that's a lot I, – I think that's a good – idea to keep in mind whenever you're developing these types of spiritual disciplines, particularly with journaling. You know, there isn't this, we tend to think, oh, you got to journal so much every single day. I don't think that's the case. I I like what you just said. Some days we're feeling it. Some days we're not. Some days, the only thing that we can, the only thing that we can articulate is a phrase, a word, but those, because when we go back to this, those statements, those phrases, maybe just one sentence, it's going to jog a bunch of memories
1: all right, five discipleship lessons from the Book of Numbers. Dave Schreiner's Old Testament professor at Wesley Biblical Seminary. Now you're working on a bunch of projects right now. Tell me about your favorite one.
0: Well, my favorite one is. Well, I got a couple that are probably right there. Um, my, you know, I I have a commentary that's coming out. It's going to be published with Kriegel Academic. That you can. I actually I think you can pre-order that um, uh, right now. But it's supposed to be uh, uh, published in. in and distributed in July, that's on 1st and 2nd Kings, and that's a commentary that's exegetical and preaching. So for you preachers out there, mm. it uh, it gives you some tangible preaching ideas that are rooted in exegesis of the text. So it's an interesting, it's an interesting commentary. And then I also have a study that's going to be out later in the year, probably in the fall. Uh, I've co-written that with a friend of mine, and that's going to be kind of a historical study on 1st Kings 20, 22, and 2nd Kings 3. Those are the Omride Wars.
1: Hey, Dave Schreiner, thanks for being on the Life Changing Discipleship Program podcast with Matt Friedemann. Appreciate Thank, it. Thanks, Matt. Thanks and you for weren't boring.
0: I, that's great. No, I wasn't boring.
1: No, I, I was thinking, you know, I mean, this guy's some. No, you're never boring. Ever, ever. I appreciate that. Hey, thanks, Matt. It's for been having an honor to have you all listen to the Life Changing Discipleship podcast with Matt Friedemann. Hey, check out our Facebook page, Life Changing Discipleship, and check out our books at Amazon.com. Real quick, again, they want to pre order that Kriegel book. Yeah. Uh, that thing on First Kings, where you got some really insightful stuff along with some preaching data. How do they do that?
0: Uh, you go to Kregel, that's spelled K R E G E L dot com, and uh, just search uh, their commentaries, and you can find First and Second Kings in that. You can pre-order that now.
1: All right. Great. Hey, always, always tell others about our podcast. Remember my wife, thanks you. My daughter, thanks you. My sons and their wives. Thank you. And I can assure you that I thank you for listening to life changing discipleship today. Love God, live clean, keep the faith, make disciples and God bless you, dear friends. We'll see you back here real soon.